0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said,
1: enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way.
2: Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm great. I'm great. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to all our listeners.
0: Exactly. It is uh, holiday week. Uh, as you're listening, if you're listening live, uh, you're T-minus 48 hours, give or take. So you better get out there and uh, get some of that shopping done. I have uh, felt like I've been in pretty good shape, Keith. I don't know how that happened, given the way my fall goes, but I, I think I'm actually knock on something. I'm out in front of things here.
2: I've got one gift left to get Uh, so I'm in good shape too. Uh, I don't expect that to be repeated next year. I'll be scrambling next year, but for one year out of however many it's been, I I, I actually got ahead as well.
0: Well, I look forward to, uh, to what it is that you're going to get me, Keith. So uh, I'll be surprised when you drop it off, make sure you hold your breath and uh, get ready to be shocked and and hold the microphone, which is what I just knocked over, by the way, I'm sure that sounded good. in everybody's, uh, AirPods and earbuds, apologies for that. Um, but you know that that's kind of about what we all did last Wednesday around uh, eleven thirty or twelve noon. We got the news about Travis Hunter, Keith. We'll uh, we'll save a whole segment to talk about that. But uh, next segment, we'll dive into the offensive line with our expert Patrick Burnham from the Osceola, who is an offensive lineman, and uh, he he actually studies the tape and knows what FSU has signed, so we'll get his
2: opinion. Keith, you want to he. I wonder if he's gonna bring up the hunter thing.
0: Yeah, I, I bet it'll come up. I'm sure it will. Uh, do you want to do you wanna tease, give a little synopsis of, of what you're gonna opine
2: later in the show, or you just want to save that whole conversation
0: until when we get there?
2: Uh, I'm gonna save the whole conversation. I've not been a fan of bar stool sports for a long, long time, but I'll share the reason for that later. <laughs> All right. That's a tease. Boy, you're a
0: professional. That's very impressive, Keith. Well, here's where we are. With the holiday shopping's in good shape. The sports year is uh, is basically on pause, almost over for Florida State. It is on pause for basketball. There's some games between Christmas and New Year's, but in effect, 2021 is is over. We'll look back on it, and the soccer team got a national championship. Florida State's athletic department got a new director of athletics. Uh, the football team improved, though perhaps not as quickly as many would like to see those improvements. I, I happen to like the trajectory overall. Obviously, it could have done without the Travis Hunter news from last week. Uh but that, that's where we stand as we, as we get set to turn the, turn the page on, on 2021, 20,
2: Keith. We've seen some coaching changes, obviously, at the major levels. But it's been interesting that when it comes to coordinators and replacements. Just look at Clemson uh, and obviously what Coach Norvell did with uh, promoting Coach Atkins. Um, you're not seeing a lot of coordinators moving. Uh, you're seeing a lot of head coaches move. I'm, I'm sure that that's a, a little bit of a conversation amongst folks. Not sure if I could tell you a reason why or not, but it is interesting. Well, Brent Venables would be the one exception to that, and we're happy
0: to have him out of the ACC and over at Oklahoma. So uh, I don't want to say good riddance. He's a good coach, but uh, we're happy to not have to deal with Brent. And Dabo promoted from within, which is the same thing Mike Norvell did. Uh, Certainly it helps with continuity. It helps with relationships with the players. Doesn't necessarily always mean that it's it's, it's uh, you didn't cast as wide a net maybe
2: as you could have, but I do like the move with Atkins, and we'll talk about that with Pat in our next segment too. I do as well. I think it'll be interesting to see how the actual play calling transpires uh, with both of them down on the field. They're obviously, going to need some eyes up in the uh, in the booth if if Atkins does remain on the field, which we expect.
0: We will dive into that
1: when we continue. We're just getting started. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith.
0: Welcome back to Front Row Knowles Holiday Edition. Happy holidays to you and yours. We are pleased that Patrick Burnham is with us from the Osceola. Our Osceola insider joins us Via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together.
3: How are you, Pat? Doing great, guys. Hope you guys are and ready for a Merry Christmas as well.
0: We are. We are indeed. And we're ready to talk some offensive line because – Keith played football. I've watched a lot of football. Some would suggest we might look like offensive linemen, but you're actually an offensive lineman. And so you were the true expert to to grade or or reflect on what Florida State signed last week. I can't believe it's only been a week. So uh, is that fair enough that we pick your brain on
3: that topic? Yeah. And listen, of course, I I can't remember. We've had a lot of busy off seasons the last several four or five years at Florida State, but uh, between the signing day and, Transfer portal and coaching changes. It's been a very busy two and a half weeks of offseason for Florida State. Well, let's, let's start there. You mentioned the coaching
0: changes. Let's start with Alex Atkins moving from OL coach to offensive coordinator and still OL coach. Your general thoughts on that move and how he'll handle both those roles and continue to work with FSU's offensive line.
3: Well, yeah, I, you know, I'm sure that over the course of the previous two seasons, Alex has had to say so in the coordination, what they're going to do, run, run in the run game. Uh, he's been a offensive a run game coordinator at Tulane. He was offensive coordinator at Charlotte. So he's done the operational things that you do as a coordinator as far as putting practice plans together. And, you know, uh, obviously, uh organizing how opponent film is going to be broken down by each assistant and what they're responsible for. Uh, and he's done a great job his first two seasons at Florida state. So I thought it was only the natural move. Uh, obviously you want to retain him. He has taken uh some guys with limited ability over the last two years and gotten more production. Than I think uh, we thought he could get out of them, and so I think it's warranted. He's a bright young coach, recruits well, obviously has coached well. Has been given a lot of responsibility uh, over the course of his coaching career, whether it's with Willie Fritz or whoever he's coached for, not just Mike Norvell. And um, you know, I, I look forward to seeing what he does. And you know, he's familiar with what uh, how Coach Norvell wants things done. He's been here two years now, and uh, obviously Coach Norvell's going to continue to have an influence on the offense as well. So, I like the move.
2: Hey, did you ever get a feel last year uh, as to – I mean, I always felt like Coach Dillingham was calling the majority of the plays, but obviously Norvell uh, was given input. You think that uh, Atkins will be the true play caller or you think Norvell may take a little bit more of that, at least early on? You
3: have any well, listen, that? I think that, uh, you know, I think it's his offense. I think you. I think he will allow – coach Atkins to put his stamp on it or his person give it some of his personality, uh, whether that's in some revised schemes or new schemes, things, uh, the way things are blocked, the way things, uh, route concepts and that kind of thing. But uh, you know, I do think that they will continue to work together and uh, you know uh, if he's the sole coordinator, I'm sure that he will be working closely with Mike as I I felt Kenny was doing.
0: Do you have a preference as somebody who's played the position, Pat, Alex, when you watch him on the sidelines, when the defense is out there, he's coaching up the offensive line the entire series. And you can call plays from the sidelines. Certainly Jimbo's done it. Norvell's done it. Spurrier did it. But there's also guys that call from the booth, like Dillingham when he was calling or others. Do you expect Atkins to stay on the sideline, though, since he's staying involved with the OL?
3: You know, uh, a lot of guys are hands-on, right? They want to be able to look their guys in the eyes when they come off the sideline. Uh, you know, I know uh, going back to when my father was coaching and my brother today, when he was was, was a position coach or is a coaching in a position, he like, he prefers to be on the sidelines. And uh, so did my father. And, you know, a lot of coordinators do, I believe. Uh, then some guys like to get up there because they can see more for themselves. They can see the full field and, for to a lesser extent you're removed from the emotion of the game right because you don't feel you know you're not down there with the kids and uh so i you know i don't know what his preference is uh and you know as far as uh you know i i think he needs to do what he's most comfortable with and if mike and he decide sit down and decide that they feel like uh he needs to be up there because he can see things better. And I got a better overall idea of what the defense is trying to do as a whole. Uh, I think that's the best thing to do. And I think if he's more comfortable having a feel from the game, from the sidelines and being able to talk to his kids and make adjustments uh, one-on-one with them, as opposed to communicating through the headsets, I think that's what they need to do. So I don't, I don't have a preference.
2: Pat, I've kind of evolved to this position. I'll be interested you and I haven't talked about it, but. We, a freshman offensive lineman from a percentage of probability standpoint is probably less likely to give immediate impact than a wide receiver or a defensive back, that type of thing. And, of course, we all know, you know, one of the reasons that Wake Forest has had some great success. They had some super seniors, about 23 of them. I was looking on the list before we um, sat down to talk today, and technically every one of Florida State's offensive linemen – is a red shirt because of COVID or an actual red shirt year. Yeah. Is that kind of the norm now? Is that what you would think many teams are going to go to again or revisit
3: again? Uh, you, you know, I think that you're going to see a lot of, I think it's all, I think that in a perfect scenario, as an office, as a program, you want to be able to redshirt every offensive lineman that you sign, right? Because most of them as good as they are, are not physically ready to, I mean, you're playing against some grown men in the ACC and the SEC and Big Twelve and Big Ten and all these conferences. Florida State plays against, in and against, and uh, you know these some of these guys have been in weight rooms for four and five years. And uh, you know, listen, uh, Julian Armella is probably the most college ready out of the five offensive linemen Florida State signed on Wednesday. Uh, you know, we thought Rod Orr last year, just because of his freakish athletic ability and size, we thought he might be able to come in and he had a lot of physical tools, but uh, you know, we thought he may be able to come in and contribute on the two deep and he was not, uh, you know, I think Julian Armella is probably the guy that is most field ready uh, for Florida state uh, that they just signed uh, Wednesday, but uh, you would, re- you prefer not to have to play him in my opinion. Uh, so I agree with you. I think if you can register these guys, get them acclimated to college football, uh, the physicality. And also, you know, we, as we work our way through this list, when we start talking about each individual kid. I could end every st- every sentence by saying, hey, he just needs a year or two in the weight room.
0: <laughs> well, let's let's go through every every kid, starting with we'll, we'll save the transfer portal Uh I guess I can't call them kids anymore because really I can't call the high school seniors kids either, Pat. They're twice my size. Right. But you mentioned Julian Armella. Uh, if, If he's the starting piece is the most potentially ready. I mean, what do you like collectively from this group? I mean, kind of just rattle through the names in the order that you're you're impressed with them.
3: Well, yeah, I'll start with our Ar- our Mela. Obviously rated the number five offensive tackle in the nation, and you could probably put him at one and not find much difference between me and whoever's rated number one. But long, strong can bend, great lateral movement. He is your prototypical offensive tackle prospect. He's six six, six seven, looks the part. Uh obviously you'll have to come in and get stronger. But if I mean that to me, that's that is the bell cow of this group. He's the guy that uh highest rated uh obviously most sought after and uh obviously if you watch him play he's very physical and he's fun to watch and uh, just an incredible athlete for a big man uh then of course you know uh you stay at offensive tackle the guys i like at tackle listen the, the thing that i like about this group as a whole is they're versatile you got a lot of guys that have played multiple positions meaning guard tackle or guard center during the course of their high school careers and uh by and large they all play very very hard when you watch their film so uh, as a as in a general sense I, that's why I like about these five guys but uh Quay sean Sapp from Lee County Georgia again just a he's a long 6-4 he's listed at 6-6 six, six by some folks but anywhere between 6-4 and 6-6 six, six, uh Plenty of athleticism and plenty of potential plays with a mean streak, strong hands uh, if you want to watch where when he was in high school where the ball was going uh, if they wanted the right guard to pull, he was playing right guard if they wanted the left guard to pull, he was a left guard uh, and, you know he was dominant at his level and he should have been but a guy that's football uh, best football is way ahead of him uh, you know like most of these kids uh, Daltry Richardson from Miami central six five two eighty five again. Long, lean, athletic, uh, just learning to play the game, but certainly has some things that you cannot coach. And again, a kid that likes to finish. Off plays, that is one thing that you will uh, see about all these kids when you watch their highlight tape. They finish their blocks. They're taking people to the ground, and I think uh, you know you can't teach that. You can't teach, as uh, Mark Salva likes to say, you can't teach a puppy to bite. You either do it or it won't. Uh, And then, of course, Jalen Early, another four-star prospect from uh, Duncanville, Texas. Uh, he's a kid that, in my opinion, got bigger and stronger and more technically efficient when you compare his junior film to a senior film. Uh, I see him more as an inside player. But, you know, listen, these kids may not be go- through growing. Uh, again, versatility to me is the uh, key to this whole group, uh, along with their uh, ability to finish. And then, of course. Uh, the guy that's been committed the longest, caniah Charlton, 6'5", 350. From, uh, he's another kid from Georgia. Listen, this kid is unbelievably athletic and has unbelievable feet for somebody that's 6'5", 350. Uh, Mark Salva, who's uh, played at Florida State, was an offensive lineman, is a part of the outfield staff as a football analyst, thinks he has the biggest upside of any of the five guys that have signed so far.
2: Guys, have you noticed we haven't even brought up Hunter yet? Are we past that? Are we are we, are we gone with that? Uh, Keith, I promised Pat we would
0: only talk offensive line, but now that you bring it up
3: <laughs> <laughs> Hey, listen, uh you yeah, know, listen, we've all known that this NIL stuff was gonna bring some uh unintended consequences. I don't particularly uh Listen, you, you're probably going to lose somebody anyway. Uh, Travis Hunter is not guaranteed to be uh, a great as great a college football player as he was a uh, high school football player. If you was listening to one of our podcasts after A.J. Duffy committed back from the spring or uh, summer, and I said, I don't ever get excited about commitments because they really don't mean anything. Until they sign that national letter of intent, that's great. I don't get emotionally attached to these kids that I have not signed. Uh, listen, it was just the thing. Is this something that occurred in a vacuum uh, because it was Dion and, you know, we're, the truth will come out about, uh, you know, what led to this ultimately. But, you know, the thing that I hate is that, uh, you know, the kid had been so, uh, so emphatic that he was coming to Florida state. And then uh, of course, if you want to, look at it from uh, just the standpoint that, you know, the kid and whoever was giving him advice were taught into doing this little covert thing. And, you know, I don't like it that you got a guy out there that hashtags everything as being the truth and then orchestrates this grand cover-up. But listen, at the end of the day, Travis Hunter did not ever play for Florida State, and uh, you can't worry about who's not uh, not there, right? Hey, Keith I mean, and I see or you don't get, get excited.
0: You, you, you don't get excited in, until they sign. Keith and I don't get excited until they're in uniform and we see them play on a on a Saturday. Well, not even fair. August practice. You you show me after I see some actual game tape in college, and then maybe I'll get excited.
3: Yeah, that's yeah. I'm with you on that. I, I just you, know, you can't worry about what you never had. So,
0: yeah, that's how jaded we are. Hey, let's let's finish up on the OL transfers though. Uh, the uh, bless Harris, and then last week Caden Lyles comes in from Wisconsin. Are those guys that are in your top eight and so you've got quality depth, are those guys that are going to challenge to be starters? What do you think?
3: Well, I think my personal opinion is you're not bringing anybody in through the portal unless they're – Get, you got four or five years left that you're not planning on trying to at least start. I, you know, I've got to think that they're bringing in Caden Lyles to start at either center or guard, uh, and see how the other younger kids develop. As Keith mentioned when we first started, Marie Smith is still young, Zane Herring is still young, Thomas Schrader is still young, Bryson Estes is still young. Uh, those are your core guys at center and guard outside of Dylan Gibbons and Brady Scott. So you got to think that Caden started 16 of 34 games at Wisconsin. You got to think he's going to be able to come in and start here Uh, bless Harris. uh, I don't think he is as uh, as polished a football player as Caden. I do think he was brought in to compete to start. Uh, I've got some questions whether he's got two or three years left, but certainly if he's only got two years left, you're bringing him in to start. Uh, But you know, listen, he's a guy that has, he's long. uh, He's played left tackle, played 15 games at left tackle for Lamar. In 2019 and 2020 combined, he's long. He can move. Uh, he's got to learn to finish a little bit more. He doesn't uh, always play to the whistle. Uh, and you know, I, I hopefully, they'll get him in January and get some of those things squared away. But uh, I think both these kids were uh, brought in to start. That's my own personal opinion.
2: Pat, of the of the signees and the, and those in uh, coming out of the portal, do you have a feel? Do you know what percentage will be in early, and what which you're coming in over the summer?
3: Well, I know that uh, four of the five offensive linemen, at least right now, are not scheduled to come in before the summer. Only can I is scheduled to come in out of those five, uh, five guys. And then, of course, you've still got Antavius Woody committed uh, from Lafayette, Alabama. And there's some uh, seems to be down between Florida State and Auburn for him for Octavius and of course he's supposed to sign in February still committed to Florida State so if that holds true uh, you got a a fifth kid coming in the summer and uh, we thought he was the best of the bunch as far as a prospect was concerned or being most college ready other uh, until they signed Julian so uh, so you still got you you may be bringing in as many as eight uh, before you start camp and who knows they may have a, a surprise or two in store for before that's done
0: Matt, we appreciate the insight as always. Have a good holiday.
3: All right, guys. Merry Christmas mm-hmm. to you guys, and I look forward to talking to you after the break.
0: Merry Christmas Sounds good, TV, Patrick uh, Burnham from
1: the Osceola. More Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios.
0: Back on Front Run Oils, thanks to Pat Burnham for joining us as always. Uh, Keith, I promised him we would only talk OL, but you had to go talk the biggest subject in the history of college football recruiting. I don't know why we'd want to do that. Why not bury that till the back page of the show, which is what we're doing here by bringing it up now. But uh, it's taken this long till I feel like we can have this conversation.
2: Well, it's taken me uh, this long to calm down a little bit. Again, not that you and I spent a lot of time in recruiting, but You know, Hunter's name was out there. He was uh, very public in what he did uh, up until the very last minute. Uh, I showed a great deal of disrespect uh, on signing day, in my opinion, and the way it was handled. Uh, I don't really get into the Dion thing. He's a head coach somewhere. He's going to do what he does uh, in order to help his program. But it is and speaks to what we've been discussing for a year and a half now about unintended consequences. And I don't care what ultimately happens. We're going to find out that Barstool Sports was involved in this early on and in a big way. And I just don't care for those people. And I got annoyed with them six or eight years ago when, when they went after Samantha Ponder. They went after Sam. And, and she was in the beginnings of her career. And she got set up by them. I don't remember all the details. I just remember it wasn't good. And uh, ever since then, I don't pay attention to them. I don't care for them. I don't listen to them. I'm not even impressed with them. But they're throwing money around, and that's the unintended consequence of this NIL thing. And uh, I think it's going to turn out bad. I'm I'm like Alan on Two and a Half Men. When he gets mad at Charlie, he knows that what Charlie's doing is going to mess with him, and it's going to be really, really bad, but he just can't tell him exactly how just yet. This is going to end up bad, Tommy. Write it down. Yeah, I mean,
0: I don't think most would expect that he's going to fig- finish his career at Jackson State. Not meaning Dion, meaning Travis Hunter. Uh, personally, I happen to think that he'll probably end up at Georgia when all is said and done, and he'll play a year or two there. Um, I don't, I don't begrudge Travis. I don't appreciate the way he handled it, but you know, he's free to go where he wants. I don't have ill will against Dion. I wasn't burn. I don't have a Dion Jersey, but uh, if I had one, I wouldn't have been burning it outside (laughs) like some Knowles did. Um, I do think, so two things. I I don't think that was the motivation for Dion uh, to go and recruit these, these, uh, this kid. I do think that Dion can be spiteful. If you you remember when he was playing for the Braves and he was pouring water on Tim McCarver's head in the celebration, because he didn't like what McCarver had said during the broadcast I think, I mean, I don't know Dion, but he's probably got that side to him. So maybe that played into going over the top here. More than that, though, I I think what this is from Dion, and this is pure conjecture. I think Dion sees the 2021 version of Dion in Travis Hunter. And when Dion was coming out of high school, he was all world. He wasn't neon and prime yet. He didn't invent that until halfway through his FSU career. But now he sees someone that's got a similar skill set. And I will say this about Travis Hunter, Keith. Uh, again, I didn't like the decision. One thing I was excited about with him, and I don't get excited about recruits really for the reasons you and I talk about pretty much every show. Like, don't get excited until you actually see him in an FSU uniform on game day because a million things could happen. In this case, it was a million and a half things plus a shoe deal, allegedly, right? Yep. Um, I, I think Dion sees himself there. But what does was going to say about Travis... He did not back away from any of the all-star camps over the last year. A lot of these guys, they sit on their high school tape. He showed up to compete every week. I mean, I'd look at my social media feed, and wherever they are, if they're in Vegas, wherever the camp is that week, he's out there making plays. So he likes to work. And that's sort of the forgotten aspect of Dion because there's so much flamboyance that people forget that Mickey would tell you he was the hardest worker on the team. That's why he was so good. And so I think Dion sees the modern day version of himself in this kid. And that was part of the sales pitch. And you could see how Travis Hunter, obviously money plays a part. You could see how he could get infatuated with that idea of playing for the guy who's the best cornerback in the history of pro football.
2: Most great players are horrible position coaches. So he's not going to get coached up, Hunter, as Dion did under Coach Andrews. It's just not going to happen. Second of all, he's not going to face good competition. And that's how Ge- Dion got better because he was going up against good competition, particularly with Miami and Florida during his time there. This is a bad decision for Travis. And, and I'm sorry. He made this decision based on the reputation of Dion, who's not even going to be there For his entire career, in my opinion, and for X number of dollars where he's sacrificing exponential dollars five or 10 years down the road if he does get good. Now, he may prove all of us wrong. I don't wish him ill. Well, that's not my point. It's just the unintended consequences of this NIL thing that keeps raising its ugly head in different ways.
0: Well, it it certainly took the shine off of Florida State's recruiting class, and, and time will tell on that, Keith. Uh, He may be such a talent that it doesn't matter where he plays, and the NFL finds him anyway, and and he makes
2: all the same millions he was going to make. If he's good, if he's good, the the NFL will find him. You talk about Dion. You know, my recollection of Dion coming out of high school is he wasn't that highly regarded. He got good at Florida State. He didn't have the notoriety that Hunter had by any stretch. Well, he certainly but didn't he have that notoriety be
0: because we didn't have the the media conglomerates that we have now with social media and all that. But I get your That's point. Fair. He, That's fair. That's he, fair. I mean, he was he was an All-State point guard, too. Uh, obviously, he was good enough to play baseball. So there was some buzz around him. But, but I hear what you're saying. Um, I just, to me, it feels like just just thinking about when Dion invented primetime, and that whole image, which added to it. Now, to be fair, the reason primetime ever went anywhere is because Dion backed up most of what he said on the field because he was that good a talent. If he didn't back it up, he would have faded away completely. But I just feel like he sees himself in this Travis Hunter. And 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 maybe, you know, maybe that comes to fruition, maybe it doesn't with Travis and, and how it works out. It it took the shine off of an FSU class that's ranked between twelfth and fourteenth, and that's just the high school kids Keith right. uh, which was second best in the ACC coming off four consecutive losing seasons to finish second in the ACC and they could still sign some more kids in February I don't think they're in on that many high school kids so I don't know how much they could really move up at this point uh, but it definitely took the shine off of that just him and they there were other misses but if you just get Travis Hunter you're going to be ninth or tenth probably just from that one edition and the difference between, saying top 10 and top 14, it feels a lot different. And I hated that for Norvell and the staff. I know the coaches get paid a lot to deal with the good, the bad, and the ugly that goes with college football. Uh, but it did feel like they were done a wrong by the way it went down.
2: Yep. You know, the, the one other aspect of this that I've heard people talk about, I'm not so sure that I am in, uh, completely inclined but. You know, he may have done – Travis Hunter may have done Florida State a favor because someone that would do what he did may be willing to do other things that aren't, quote, unquote, within the culture at Florida State as well. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise. Not sure I buy into that, but that that rhetoric is out there.
0: Yeah, well, there's also kids that signed with FSU that might not have if Travis Hunter hadn't been in the class all along. So if he decommits a month ago, maybe some of those kids – Uh, decommit as well i'm not saying they go to jackson state but they might not be in and uh, unfortunately that might be something that florida state has to battle in this era of the transfer portal as we move forward and and that's just the way it is i know what you're saying keith i'll say it for you if you don't want to be here there's the door i I can read your i can read your
2: expression keith and here's the other part of it you know we we talk about this but it's really coming to fruition you've got to recruit these kids every year all over again yeah that used to never be an issue. Uh, I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, that,
0: that is, that is going to be out there, and that's, I mean, that's why the, the coaches know that. Uh, they, they maybe, when they got into coaching, did not know we were going to have uh, unlimited, well, it's one-time transfers and graduate transfers. They didn't know they were going to have to re-recruit them every year, but that, that's, that's where we are right now. Uh, I, I do think overall, and we only talk about the offensive line portion of the class, Keith. Uh, you know, there were there were three or four segments where Florida State did well. Uh, OL would be one. DB would be another. Quarterback, they they went and got a highly touted quarterback. I mean, they did fine on their recruiting there. Uh, obviously, receiver is the glaring miss to me, and they brought they've got a kid that's coming in and, and is committed in the portal. But that that's an area I, I don't. And this this predates. Norvell and Dugans it extends a decade backwards and and really save for 2011 to 2014 uh, several years before that Florida State was missing on receivers too I can't figure out how Florida State can't get some some playmakers at the receiver position but this has gone on for a long time
2: well I think part of the issue is who has been a quarterback you know Winston was kind of the exception but you go back 15 years Name me another quarterback of any great significance. I mean, Christian was good. Ponder was good. But, you know, you haven't had the consistency that you had, that Coach Bowden had in the late 80s and through the 90s with Ward and Busby and Cannell and then Winky, you know, and Weldon. You know, you've just – you've not had, you know, that type of caliber of quarterback. And And it's been a revolving door. You've brought in some highly touted kids but they stayed a year or two, they left, they got in trouble, something happened. They were no longer with the program. You know, I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg or the egg versus the chicken, but you, you are exactly right. I don't know what the answer is, but uh, that might be part of the problem as well. Is who no,
0: no, it, it's, it's a fair point. It's, it's certainly a fair point. It's just an area where Florida state has to, has to get better. Now I do like, I, I can't say that I like Micah Pittman. I haven't watched him played enough. I like when I read that he caught 15 punts and returned them for 150 yards, Keith, that's, that's 10 yards per return. If my math is right, that's a good sign. Now they don't keep a stat of how many punts he didn't catch. So I'm just going to go with looking at it, that he caught every punt that went his way.
2: (laughs) Well, and I think too, uh, you know, we talk about player development. Now we're going into year three under coach Norvell and really year one doesn't count. If you want to think about it that way. So, you know, taking kids at the uh, wide receiver position and developing them uh, is certainly a, a challenge and certainly something that, uh, you know, has to be overcome um, as you move forward. So we'll we'll see. I, I, do, like, I do like Douglas, though. Ja-Kai, there's something about Ja'Kai Douglas that just continues to excite me about what he's able to do. You know, know he's technically a running back per se, but uh, in that slot position, he is quite effective.
0: He came on a little bit. I think there's upside with Malik McLean. Micah Pittman has two years, not just one. We'll we'll see. You know, did they get another parchment? Did they get did they get better than that? We'll we'll see. I, I do think uh, part of what you're selling right now, though, to your point about the quarterback, is that Jordan Travis has matured and progressed in terms of being I'm not saying he's your classic pocket passer, but he is doing a better job of surveying the field and making throws. And that's evident on tape and you can point that out and show it to the guys that you're recruiting. That is true. Very true.
2: All right. Anything else on recruiting, Keith? Any other any other things you'd like? I, I think it's going to be interesting. Two other quick points and I don't I haven't done all the research on it, but I think Florida State, depending on what how they count they've got between two and four scholarships left and remember you've got the seven transfers that that one time tit for tat type of thing relative to you lose one you can bring one in so you know your roster is going to be bigger than 85 uh, at least for this year and it may be approaching 90 92 I haven't looked at all the details but there, there, there may be an opportunity for some kids to come in that would not have gotten an opportunity prior to this, if my if my understanding of the rules.
0: Well, were. to get to the, to sign a full 32, you got to have that many spots. You do have to fit it within the 85, so they can sign more than 25 and up to as many as seven transfers, uh, but they got to have the attrition. So I don't think they they don't have an, I don't know what the the actual count is right now. They don't have enough room to get to a full 32 right now. Uh, I'm going to guess they're 26 to 28, somewhere in there. So they need more guys to leave. But what's interesting about that, Keith, is if they did get there, you're talking about bringing in 15 to 17 transfers to go with 15 to 17 freshmen, depending on how the numbers shake out. That's, that's a lot of transfers to bring in.
2: <laughs> well, and, and I'm, I, again, I, I haven't done my homework, so I'm talking a little bit out. But that 85 cap, Tommy, I'm telling you, that's going to change. Maybe not this year. But they're gonna. That's gonna start changing in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Um, particularly with this new NCAA legislation that's going to be talked about in January. My opinion. My opinion.
0: We will uh, take a break. This is Front Row Knowles. Uh, park your car. Go finish. Get that holiday gift. Get the get your your holiday shopping done. Come back. We got one more segment right after this. on Front
1: Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios.
0: Back on Front Row Knowles. A few minutes to go as we finish up. A lot of recruiting talk today. Of course, there's another early signing. Well, it's not an early signing date. There's the, the February signing date. There is, a, there is a sort of a groundswell now, Keith. Everybody nationally has all of a sudden acknowledged that the early signing date is at a bad time on the calendar because of what happened this year. And what's funny is when they, when they added the early signing date, the pitch was all about let's make this for the players and relieve their pressure. But now what they're talking about doing to solve the problem is, well, let's put it back in January or back closer to February to help the coaches who don't have to abandon ship so quickly. So like the whole idea that we were moving this date or setting this date to assist the high school players. Now we're just not even putting up that facade anymore. We're just going to pick a date on the calendar that in theory will allow coaches to more subtly transition from one job to a next.
2: We've uh, over-talked the phrase unintended consequences. Now you're going to start hearing the phrase competing priorities. You know, you've got these things you want to accomplish for the kids, the players, and you've got these things you're trying to accomplish for the programs, i.e. the coaches. Those are competing priorities. I'm not sure you're going to find a way for those two to mesh anywhere. Well, What's the thought?
0: uh, So we've been the first Wednesday in February until now. Now they're talking about like January 1st or 5th. I mean, why why move it there? I mean, I guess if you want to get to mid-January and do away with the February date and just have one, I don't know. It just,
2: as we've talked about. You you can't do it then because you've got, you'll still have four teams, maybe down to two, but between four and two teams, or maybe as many as eight in the playoffs. So you can't go the first week of January. You've got to have it sometime after the national championship game, don't you?
0: Yeah, which would put it right. And when we expand the playoff, which will happen at some point, the season's only going to go deeper in January. Look, where this needs to head, Keith, and it's been this way for years, They just won't get there because of the sanctity of the academic calendar. At some point, the college football national championship needs to be on the weekend before the Super Bowl when there's never a game because the NFL takes that weekend off and that's where they need to put it. Now,
2: that would put the game on January 30th or whatever, I know, but it can be done and we'll survive. But here's the problem with that. Back to competing priorities. How many of your kids want to enroll early? Classes start the first or the latest part, second week of January. How do you sign them and commit them and have them come in?
0: Well, they're doing it right now. I mean, even though they're playing the game on the 10th or the 11th or the 12th, you can still,
2: but, but they're signing in December. So it's legal.
0: Yeah, but they, they, there were early entrance uh, before the early signing period too, who, for who, who bypassed their, their final semester uh, to, to come in. That one won't be the hang-up. The hang-up is just how long you're stretching out the season and, and all of that standpoint. Hey, we're not going to solve that one today, Keith. I'm just telling you, four, four cycles in or five cycles in. What is it, 17, eight, five cycles in, I guess, to this? Uh, we're already saying we've got to move the early signing period. Well, so,
2: Again, repeating myself, I go back to the, the constitutional changes that are coming in the NCAA. You know, you're going to have differing sets of rules because not everybody's going to do it the same way.
0: I think that's that really the ultimate question for college football is are we – and it's been the overarching question for decades. It feels like we're a little closer to to, to more seriously considering just having the football-only schools – not football-only schools, but having the serious power players in football be governed by one set of rules, whatever that looks like. The power five, there'd be more, however many schools it ends up being – uh, and the NCAA just becomes a big administrator of a basketball tournament every year.
2: I think it's inevitable. The question is not, is it going to happen? It's going to happen. It, the question is what does it look like and when does it start? Speaking of basketball, Keith,
0: this was a this was a tough week for Florida State's team because as we know, Leonard's going through a lot of growing pains and he needed the games that they didn't get to play. And the reward is now you get to bring the team back right after the holidays for a three-game ACC road trip. That is, that is not what anybody signed up for.
2: Yeah, and I didn't see this coming. I, I felt like uh, because of what had occurred over the last three or four years that uh, this, this um, maturation process would be much quicker. And uh, it, it just hasn't happened. The talent's there. They're just not playing well together. It's kind of hard to watch a little bit. And um, and they need those games because that's the only way they're going to get better.
0: Yeah, it sounds like they'll try and reschedule the UNF game somewhere. The UCF game uh, went away and yeah, they get Boston College, NC State and Wake Forest. All three of those are road games. I I hate to say it, but, you know, if you don't figure some things out, you're staring at an 0 and 4
2: conference start. I'm afraid so. And and, uh, that's going to be hard to overcome.
0: So let's flip things around and say if you do figure things out, those are all games that you can win based on the talent that you've got on the bench. You just got to start doing the little things. And the, the injury to Tenor, and you can say what you want about his overall skills as a big man, he would have given you 15 minutes a game, and him being out has, has not helped, uh, certainly. Keith, we uh, we can wait until next week to further dissect uh, the fortunes of Seminole basketball. Have a good holiday, though. Merry Christmas to you and Kathy and uh, and the family.
2: Same to you and and yours as well. I know your in-laws are coming in from New Orleans, so you all have a big time and enjoy yourself. Will do. Happy holidays to our listeners as well. We'll catch you next week right here on Front Row Noles.